0: Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. I want to say to some of you, welcome back. Welcome back. You were on fall break, and now you're back, and I'm so excited. Thanks for joining us. We're in a rooted series. If you left before the series, now we're in week seven, and tomorrow, if you're following along in the book, you're going to start week eight, day one. And today we're going to talk about how to make the most of your life, part two. And if you remember, last week we talked about serving and that serving is not about, it. well, following Jesus isn't about status, it's about serving. And if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then you will serve. So week two is a little bit more of the same with a different twist. Now, please don't take offense at this question that I'm going to start off with today. I know that as you speak or preach to your congregation or an audience that you shouldn't offend them at the very beginning of your message, but that's the tactic that I'm going to use today. So... The question is, how bad are you? How bad are you? Are you a little bad? Are you a lot bad? Look to the person to your right and say, I am really bad. (laughs) And the person to your right, don't help them by saying, oh, you're not so bad. Turn to the person to your left and say, You're really bad. Now some of you, some of you have the gift of compassion and you want to say, you're really not that bad. And in your heart of hearts, if you're anything like me, you really don't think you're that bad. I'm not that bad. In fact, we've spent most of our lives... Justifying ourselves. I was in a college class and this has been years ago. I have a master's in, in, in counseling. Believe it or not, yes, compassion and empathy exudes from my body to you. <laughs> That's why I don't do it. <laughs> I hear those laughs. <laughs> And I was in this graduate level practicum and we were actually practicing counseling. And and they asked, actually, this is the first time and the only time in my graduate study they asked us our opinion. And they said, what do you think the nature of man is? And we went around this little circle and everyone was saying exactly what they were supposed to But you know I didn't. (laughs) They would say, man is basically good. Man is basically good. Then they got to me. And I said, man is basically evil and in need of a Savior. Oh, and I had some educators and some administrators, and they got (laughs) red-faced. Unlike you, when I told you how bad you were this morning, they were livid mad. And they were mad at me for the rest of that semester. It just didn't stop. Because I offended them. Because the way of the world is everyone's basically good. And then a the graduate assistant—they had a graduate s- assistant. They didn't have a doctorate or a professor actually teach this course. And 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 he looked at me and said, "Why do you believe that?" And I said, "Well, are we not building bigger and better prisons? Is the morality of our culture getting better? And and statistically, what is going on? It's worse." Not better. And if man were basically good, we all self-actualize and be nicer and kinder, and we wouldn't need bigger and better prisons. We just heal ourselves. And that's not what's happening, is it? Now let's look at what the Apostle Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 2, and see how bad we are and how desperate we are. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, if you were far from God and you were under the prince of the power of the air, you would probably not say that you were so bad because you're deceived. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of what? Of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were like that. If you're in Christ, that's the way you were before Christ, B.C. For some of you that are far from God still and trying to find your way back to God, this is who you are. This is the battle that's going on. Now ask the question, why was I dead? Why were you? Why were we dead? Why were we dead in our sins? You've got to understand something. From the moment we are born, we are in a sin condition. And, and, and sin is more of a condition than an action. In fact, we don't know what it would actually, reality would be like if we weren't living in a fallen, broken, sinful world. Even as beautiful as this fall has been, and yes, I've driven around and looked at leaves and trees. I don't know what that is. Maybe that's just an old man thing or something. I've enjoyed this fall. But it still isn't as brilliant, as wonderful, as perfect as God designed it to be. That's what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like. Now, the actions that are committed in our sinful state that we battle with even though we are in Christ... Even though sin doesn't have any more power over us, the actions might speak to the condition, but it is the condition that we need to be healed from. That is why we need a Savior. You see, sin is a condition that we need to be freed from. We are enslaved to sin before we know the Savior. And as John preached a few weeks ago about having an enemy, we have an enemy, a destructor, a, a, destroyer of our soul and spirit, of humankind, of creation. Paul, first Peter talks about him in verses five or chapter five, verses eight and nine. He says, be sober minded, be watchful, be on the alert. Your adve- adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist and firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. There is a destroyer, a destroyer that wants to destroy your soul, to suck you back into bondage and into sin. I watch people, I talk to people, I know people that are being destroyed right now to the point of death. And it saddens me, it breaks my heart. They need Jesus. If you're following along in the Rooted Rooted series, it talks about poverty and how it's related to a lack of shalom, the wholeness, the wellness, the peace of God that only God can provide through Christ. That is reality. Not are they impoverished financially. They are impoverished because they don't know Jesus and they don't have God's peace in their lives. And, and we've got to remember this principle always that our unforgiven sin brings death to life. You're in a church that practices the Lord's Supper every Sunday. It is a reminder of what it costs, our salvation costs. It's a reminder of our sinfulness. It's a reminder, a remembrance of who we are and how we've been redeemed or saved by his grace and it cost jesus everything because he loves you now the apostle paul in romans and i'm i'm not going to take you to the scripture verse we've got to understand something that a person is never free and independent they're always following someone and, and there's only two choices. There's not a third choice. There's not a middle ground. It's either God or Satan, according to the Word of God. You're enslaved to someone. You choose who you serve. And the question at that point, if you're with me still, is can a person be a Christian and still continually walk in disobedience? And I think you can be saved by grace and still sin. But continual, habitual grieving of the Holy Spirit and continuing in sin, absolutely not. There comes a point where you no longer hear the voice of God, the Spirit of God, because you haven't allowed the grace of God to work in your life. Now, I just told you how bad you were. And you're still here. Nobody's walked out on me yet, maybe checked out or quit in their minds. But you're still here. But let me tell you how good God is. And the question is, how good is God? Let's look at what Scripture says in Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God, and this is a huge transition, but God intervenes. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. And I said last week, and I will say over and over and over and over again until you get it. You wouldn't need me because if you understood the grace of God and the love of God, you wouldn't need a preacher because you'd all be preachers and you'd all wear everybody out about how much God loves them and how much grace there is and how good he is. And it wouldn't just stop. It would never stop. But because of the great love with which he loved us, you, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were far from God, even though we were enemies of God, under under different management, under the, the prince of the power of the air, under Satan, made us alive together with Christ. Now, that's a miracle that we all get a participation in, in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. When we see somebody cross the line of faith, that's a miracle. That is God doing the work. You say, well, I witnessed to them. I shared the gospel with them. Now, yeah, you did, but God drew them in. To be translated from the kingdom of, of hell to the kingdom of heaven is a miracle. But God did that. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is a miracle of God that we take for granted. But when you see it, you know it's God. So that in the coming ages, this is now, this is who, who Paul is writing to. We are the coming ages. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward who? Toward you, toward me, toward us in Christ Jesus. That is who we are. That is how good God is. So how have you been saved? It's a miracle of God. Do you realize that? Paul says in verses eight and nine. He, he goes on and he says this. He says, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast." Then we'll talk to you today about grace a little bit. There's a, such a thing as what I think that we are all familiar with. Is kind of. First helping grace and second helping grace. And I don't know if you've noticed that I've gained a little weight since COVID. <laughs> Thank you. So, the one what everybody else is saying, mm, yeah. <laughs> Haven't said anything to you, Chris, but mm, yeah. Because I'm not just a first helping guy, I'm a second helping guy. <laughs> Amen. I got an amen. Now, there's first helping grace and there's second helping grace. I want you to get this. Disposable grace versus durable grace. Some of you, and, and I, and let me, let me just say, I'm with you. I, I am you in this moment. We, we practice disposable grace. Okay. They did this. They did that. They meant this. I'm done. Peace out. We all have that button where we go, Mm, I'm done. Pow. No, no more relationship. Maybe you've done that with a church or a few churches in your hunt for the perfect church. And, and maybe there'll be a time when you punch out peace out from this church. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. That's kind of like disposable grace that we, we extend grace for this far and that's it. Now let me just say as a counselor who doesn't want to be your counselor, but I want to be your pastor. Let me just say, there are times when you punch out. There has to be boundaries in your life. I was talking to somebody about narcissist and narcissistic behavior. I get it. I, 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 you know, I've dealt with abuse situations and in families and in spouses. You need to get out. Constant negativity and uh, ridicule and abuse. You need to stop it. Get away from that. Okay? It's not what I'm talking about. This is why I'm talking about somebody that kind of gets on your nerves. It's kind of negative every once in a while. And you just get tired of them. You just peace out. You're done. That's disposable grace. We've all done that. We've all experienced it in our relationships. That's why we don't have the relationships that we have had in in our lives. Lifelong ones. Some of you do. Now, Now, to have that, you have to have durable grace. This is a second helping grace. This is going beyond. It is a sturdy grace that says, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to stay with you no matter what. But again, there are boundaries. Abuse, narcissists, those that would destroy you and your very life. You've got to stop it. But let me just help you think about this, this in different terms because this is something that fascinates me that as I was studying for this message, really spoke to me this week, and it's this. Remember the Last Supper? There were 12 apostles around that table, and they were proud men with dirty feet. Remember last week? There were two betrayers, not one. There was Peter that would deny Jesus within 24 hours, three times. That Jesus restored at the breakfast on the beach. Remember, Peter, do you love me more than these? Feed my sheep. Three times. Fascinating. But there was another guy that betrayed Jesus, who we think is the most vilest, cruelest, most evilest person that ever existed. And his name was Judas. Remember that? And Jesus identified him by handing him a piece of bread. Remember? Remember? And say, do what you will at that moment? Now, I've always thought, I've always thought this, when Jesus gave him the piece of bread, that this was like saying, peace out, Judas, you're done. But that's, that's not the way the Lord Jesus operates. I never thought about this. But was Jesus saying, Judas, here's the bread of life. Here's your way back to me. I know what you're going to do, and you're going to do it. And I'm going to give my life as a ransom for the whole wide world. But here's a a piece of bread to come back to me. And just as he would restore Peter, he would have restored Judas. That's durable grace. I believe that's what Jesus was doing in that moment. Durable, sturdy grace, love and kindness, God's mercy, his rich mercy that he gives to every one of us and those that are far from him. So, so understanding all of this, what are we to do? What are we to do? And Paul goes on in Ephesians, in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before and that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. We serve however we serve because we have been saved by grace. The reason why I tell you how bad you are is to realize how great our God is and how good grace is, and that, that we take that grace for granted. But we are called for a purpose to do His work, whatever we are called to do. We are gifted, we are talented for a purpose beyond ourselves. Now, this word, this term workmanship in the Greek is Poema. And if you look at it closely, you can see this word poem in it. And our lives, his workmanship is like a poem. It is like an art. It's like a craft. We do good works because we are his masterpiece, his workmanship, his craftsmanship, his artistry. Now, I've been working on houses for about 25 years now. And I have been learning a trade and, and there's a difference from a beginner and a master craftsman. and And when you look at what is done, we've got to realize that craftsmanship wins every time. Materials are the same, the work is the same, but the way it is done and by who it is done is different. Now, folks, the one that is the master of your life, the master of the universe, the artist that is sculpting and and painting your life, there's no one better because he's the, the king and the sovereign of the universe. And he's working on you to make you what he desires you to be. He's never absent. He's never late. He is always on time. And he is the perfect craftsman, if you will. Now, I'm reticent to say this because I might get a phone call. Because my mom is watching probably online at this very moment. I grew up with an artist. In their retirement village, in a part of their house, their, their stands. I know, I haven't been there since the hurricane because I'm suffering post-traumatic stress disorder still. But in their house, there is an art room, and there is an easel, and I can bet my life that there's a painting being painted right now. And and knowing and having lived with a melancholy artist all of my life, I know that there have been different times where she's finish something, but yet she'll take it out of the frame and put it back on the easel and she will continue it because she saw something that she could do better. I just want you to think about you being that portrait, that painting that God has on an easel and he is not finished with you Yet, he is still working on you until the day you die. We do good works because we are his masterpiece, his workmanship, his craftsmanship, his artistry. Now the question then becomes, are we walking in good works in response to the grace we've received? Gotta understand that we're saved for a purpose. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. The saved do good works for God. Back in the day, post-Civil War, when the slaves received their freedom, there was an uh, African-American slave that came into visit with Abraham Lincoln and he wanted to pay for his freedom. And and he threw a civil dollar, which was all that he had to pay for his freedom. And Abraham Lincoln kindly looked at this former slave that had received his freedom and said, you don't understand. You can't pay for your freedom. And then he turned that former slave's... Perspective toward Arlington Cemetery, where there were thousands of Civil War soldiers that had died. So there's no amount of money could there be paid for their lives that were given for your freedom. Understand this, no work that you could possibly do could ever repay or earn your salvation, the grace by which you were saved, Christian. Christian. That's not why we do good work. We're saved because of his grace. We do good works because we, in gratitude, understand there's nothing that we can do to deserve it, and we want to share that great gift to others. Now, here's the application. And this is just for some of you. For some of you, this is going to apply. Make a life inventory to see if you are performing the works of Satan or the works of Christ. Chris, there are people watching online. There are people in this room that are here because they love Jesus. I know. But some of you are doing works of Satan rather than the works of God. That you're taking life instead of giving life. That you're still under the realm of destroyer because you are trying to fake everybody else out. But between you and God, you can't fake him out. You're living wrong and far from Him. And the only one you're deceiving is yourself. Your works will show who you're about. Number two, tell another person how you were saved by God's grace. Someone around you who doesn't know Jesus needs to know about this unbelievable, amazing grace of God that is durable that his reach is farther than our grasp and farther and more loving than our sin and anything that we could have ever done against him under the power of the prince of the air. And to share that he is calling them unto himself. And there is a way to Christ by his grace and be a part of that miracle that we were talking about earlier. This morning, you know, God's not finished with you yet. You're still on his easel. He's placing those final brushstrokes on your life and wants to do his work in you. Will you allow him? Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God, Father, we are indeed grateful that you have a durable grace, that your love is everlasting without end, that you are rich in mercy that never stops, that, Father, you call those far from you, and we don't understand it, and we don't. we just can't comprehend it, that, that it never ends, that you are the hound of heaven calling everyone unto yourself. And, Father, we just pray that we might be a part of that miracle, that, that those that need to know you, that need to know your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, would. And Father, we just pray that we will serve you out of what we've received from you, that we won't take it for granted, but to actually realize that there are people far from you that are going to hell and, and don't even know it and don't even care, but, but they're waiting for someone to say, here's what Jesus did for me. Not that I deserved it, not that I earned it, but it was a gift from God. It was a miracle. Father, we just count on you to do those miraculous things even today in our lives. And we pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.